Welcome to today's Mars Colloquium. Our speaker is Janet Ruhala Johnson. She is a uh, fantastic model, I think, role model for any of you who want to aspire to become a records and information manager. Uh, she has 25 years plus experience in the records and information management field. She also has uh, earned the CRM designation and given back by helping to write text questions for the ICRM exam and participated in grading of part six, if you don't know what that is, that's a case study. It's a very uh, challenging section of the CRM exam, and I'm sure it's a very challenging one to grade as well. Uh, and Janet is very active in ARMA International, where she's worked on the ARMA International job competencies, uh, something very helpful to individuals in our field. So what I'm going to do right now is uh, turn the session right over to Janet and we'll all sit back and enjoy her presentation. And remember, feel free if you have a question to raise your hand. Janet, you can take it away. Okay, thank you, Pat. And uh, as Pat introduced me, um, I'm Janet and I welcome any questions at any time and I'll just get, a, get started here. Uh, welcome to the presentation. I'm going to cover some building blocks of records and information management. I'm going by my experience in records management and so I'll cover some of the basics and um, why we have records and information management in any organization and maybe some building blocks that can help you with your future. Okay, so the first place we're going to start with the basics. Um, being in the records management program, most of you have probably seen this definition, but this is ARMA's definition of what a record is. Basically, it's recorded information. Every single thing that you write down or record, regardless of medium or characteristics, made or received by an organization. Records are evidence of its operations. Without having a record, it's hard to prove that you did the right thing or that you did your job correctly. So records are so important in an organization. They have value and the value can be different. Some records are really important, some records are not, and that's our biggest role, I think, as a records manager is helping an organization figure out what to keep, what can be thrown away, how long to keep it, and um, making sure it's thrown away in the, in the proper way, in the proper method. So here we're going to just talk a little bit about some examples. A record is basically everything, again, that you write down, and it is amazing after all these years of teaching records management, how many people are so surprised to know that they all create records. I can't tell you how many offices I've walked in or people I've talked to who said, oh, no, I have no records of the company. Um, that's, you know, over there in those cabinets. Well. You know, I kind of co coax them to show me their PC and I show them every single thing in your email, um, every post-it note is a record. So it seems like a simple concept, but it is amazing how many people don't even understand the importance of what they create every day on the job. So it also includes correspondence, chats. Uh, chats are real uh, popular now with uh, instant messaging, faxes, reports, databases, emails, uh, videos, photographs. I mean, it can go on and on. Where are the records? Records are everywhere, basically. <laughs> they are in file rooms. This is the customary, I'm going to get my pointer working here. This is kind of the customary place where you find records or where you expect to find them. Uh, many people, as I said, don't even know the volume and the array of records that they're creating on their desktop or their PC. And if you think of every time you transfer documents or files or databases, whatever it may be, to a USB drive or a thumb drive, that's also containing records. 
uh, blog, a wiki, and I'm sure all of you have recently heard a lot about cloud computing and cloud storage. It's just basically outsourcing many of your records uh, and information management and storage to off-site. And here, of course, is a DVD or CDs or any kind of disks. So when you're in an organization, the reason this is all important is that as a records manager, you really have to think in a holistic, uh, with a holistic viewpoint, you have to think of all of the possible places a record may be for a couple different reasons. Number one is we in an organization often have to locate records for our general counsel and that depends on what kind of industry you're in. Certain industries are highly regulated, so you have to look for a lot of records and, and do collections or e-discovery, it's also called. And some, some organizations, they don't ever have to, you know, find records for preservation or for a court order. If you do have to find them, if you're a lucky person um, like me, it makes the job more challenging, but you do have to be aware of where all the records of your organization are stashed. And I could tell you many stories of where I've found records and they've been in, I call them scary rooms. I've walked down the hall and just opened a door and boxes have tumbled out. So there really can be records anywhere in an organization that people often just simply forget about or more often don't have time to review them. So they sit them in an area close to them. So the objectives of records and information management is to manage all of that mass of records in all, in all media, in all locations. To manage them means you have to retain them only as long as they're necessary per requirements. By requirements, I'll talk a little bit more about this in a minute, requirements can be all different requirements. They can be legal requirements from your uh, lawyers or your, your internal or external counsel. They often will have a say. They'll, they'll help you determine risk of different documents and how long they should be kept and you'll get a, a many different viewpoints. Some things have to be kept long. In fact, they don't ever want you to throw them away, but some things like correspondence, they'd prefer that you just continually delete that. Maybe you keep it a year or two at the most. An objective of records management is also to locate those records when they're needed. As I mentioned, for preservation purposes, but some of you may not have preservation or court orders. You never have to locate documents in your company for your lawyers, but you still need to locate what you need to do your job. I can't tell you how many um, times, you know, even I've a record manager have filed records and I cannot remember what I called it, where I put it, you know, what file I put it in or what folder I put it in. So to locate it when it's needed, it is really critical. Retrieval is really um, an important thing to get good at. Indexing and file structure will really help people. And you try to standardize that. You have to be able to read records when you do locate them. And in this day and age with all of the different software applications or even places of storage, this is not as easy as it sounds. You have to often deal with migrated records or converted records and it's difficult to pull them up and read them and retrieve the whole uh, record and the context of that record so it still makes sense. You have to destroy records at the appropriate time. And this is another one um, that I think is kind of funny. Teaching people what a record is is, is one thing teaching them that they actually can destroy a record is a whole nother thing. People don't believe you. They, they want to keep that record just in case, just in case they'll need it. And they mistakenly think that there's more value in having those records around forever when in truth any legal counsel will tell you that 
mostly if it's if there's no value left and there's no regulations, you can throw that away and they prefer that you throw that away. So it's very difficult to actually get people to destroy and when they destroy, they have to think of all of the copies wherever they may be. An objective is to manage the records of an organization with consistency, accountability, authenticity, and trustworthiness. Those are key terms. Those have to be in your computer systems, in your repositories, and um, there's different ways to do this. The, the key word here to me is consistency. Aim for consistency when you come up with procedures and teaching people how to manage their records. The more consistent you are, the better it looks to a court of law. Also, an objective is to manage records to reduce duplication and volume. And this is, this is pretty obvious that you don't want a lot of records around. It's number one, more difficult to find things. Okay, so now we'll talk a little bit about the life cycle of records. We're going to start with paper because that's the, the easiest to explain. If we start, when you manage records, you really have to look at the whole life cycle, which means sometimes it's creating policies and procedures around the creation of records or teaching people in your organization when they receive records what's uh, what is good to keep and what should be thrown away immediately. Um, another part of the life cycle then is the maintenance and the use. As long as those records are active, they have to be managed. You have to watch for security or you have to watch for, uh, to make sure they're not copying the wrong people. They have to keep them secure, keep them authentic, uh, be able to find them like we said earlier, be able to retrieve them. The next cycle would be the disposition. When they've met their retention requirements, they have to be disposed of. And sometimes, like in the electronic world, it's not just a matter of disposing, hitting the delete key. Because many of you have probably heard, that may delete the pointer to that electronic format, but it may not have actually deleted the whole file. And there may be backups uh, in several different locations that so you have to talk to the IT people and make sure all of those backups are deleted. It'd be very embarrassing if you think about it in a court of law and the judge asked um, a lawyer, did you delete this? Or if they asked for a record and you say said you deleted it and then someone else said, guess what? I found a copy over here. So it is very important, the, the whole art of disposition and making sure it's done correct, correctly. Then um, records go either, are either thrown away or permanently kept. Uh, permanent storage then is, is often called archiving or archived. Um, and it's not always necessary. In fact, in the business world, very few records are actually kept permanent. Then we jump into the electronic records. And it's a whole new world. It's, it's so very different from, elect from paper. The same basic ideas hold true with managing electronic records, like you still need to think about consistency and authenticity and reliability, but you have so many new challenges. So we're going to start with the life cycle creation and receipt of, a, of electronic records. Creation now, you can literally figure out or use hundreds of different formats to create a record. Um, different software. We all know how many piece, how many different software you use on a daily basis and how many records are generated from that software. Hardware, same thing. Uh, you can have your records on your physical uh, laptop or you can have them on a disk or a thumb drive. You have to be concerned with duplicates. You have to really look oftentimes at what is legally acceptable as a record. Can you accept a scanned signature, a scanned record with a signature on it, or do you still have to have that hard copy record that was physically signed with wet ink on it? 
All of these are just questions to ask when I go out and, and view or do an analysis of a of a department within my company, I have to really get in and dive, take a deep dive into these type of questions and learn about what's being done so then I can advise them and create policy and procedures for each different department. Then with electronic records, you get into maintenance and use. Again, a whole new world from paper. All different aspects to consider, like metadata. And metadata, we'll talk about that in a minute, taxonomy, classification, confidentiality, accessibility, again, security. Security is highly important with electronic, or I should say it's important with paper and electronic, but it's more challenging with electronic because oftentimes people are into mobile uh, computing and they have mobile phone, phones, so those electronic versions of records are literally carried with them at all times. Retention, very difficult now in the electronic world. It used to be you had a folder of paper records, and when they met their retention, you could simply put it in a shredded bin. Now, with electronic, it's a little more difficult because folders are constructed with various different documents, and um, sometimes you have to pull them apart, sometimes you have to destroy them appropriately, or sometimes you may have to do what we call the bucket uh, version of disposition, which means everything within a folder keep for the longest retention period. But there's problems and risks associated with that. You end up keeping some records way too long just to because uh, it's the easiest way to dispose of them. Okay, there's authenticity again, reliability, there's those words again that are so critical. Uh, migration and preservation, they offer unique challenges in the electronic world as well. Preservation now can mean that a document, when it was created electronically, you can keep the original and still make copies. Um, and then that original could be preserved for uh, discovery. I want to go back to migration and conversion. This is probably something we deal with almost daily in an organization. You're always looking for old records, old um, in old systems or systems that were discontinued but the data had to be transferred to another format and it gets very, very tricky and it can consume a lot of your time if it's not done correctly. Okay, then the last part of the life cycle in the electronic world, again, is disposition, just like it is in paper and or preservation, this should say disposition or permanent uh, retention archiving because some electronic records are permanently kept. Disposition is very, very tricky in the electronic world because you're working with intertwined data oftentimes in systems or data that data feeds, so you, when you destroy data in one system, you have to make sure it's not going to hurt the integrity of other records in another system. It's very, very difficult. Um, you have to get IT, your technical people involved in, in your business leader to really make some risk-based decisions on when to delete records or data out of an electronic system. And remember to document that, <laughs> whatever you've done. How long to keep the data, that's the tricky part. You can you follow your retention schedule. I recommend you use a retention schedule as your base. But then again, you have to, you run into a lot of decision making when you're dealing with electronic records. Here we go, keep long term. Sometimes you have to keep records long term and that means they'll have to be migrated or converted into other formats so they can be read for a long term period. <coughs> okay, and the next item that is really critical in the world of records and information management is policies and procedures. And policies tell, in an organization, tell a person what is required and it may include 
Well, first of all, I want to back up just a bit. Policies are different in every organization. You have to build them, you have to create them with your legal counsel, with your high-level leadership, because they are really specific to an organization. And they should mention how to manage the records and information, the roles within a company or an organization, who's responsible for what. Are there archivists? Are there record managers? Hopefully those people have designated authority to make decisions, or you could end up with decision making being made all throughout your organization. And there goes the consistency. <laughs> the next thing to consider, and this is very, very um, high visibility in today's world, is data privacy. And this is becoming more and more visible and important in the United States. Um, oftentimes you run into this in European regulations, but it definitely is gaining visibility in the U.S. We have to keep data private and confidential, and there's so many reasons for doing that. <clears throat> Secure disposal. Um, your policies and procedures should include the proper way to dispose of records. They should also cover and be clear about the types of records. Each different type of record, like for example, mobile phones, there should be a policy specifically about your mobile phone because it's so complex and there are so many um, different nuances and things that you need to describe about a phone. For example, when is the data on your phone deleted? And it should be very, very secure. And the tricky thing about a policy for mobile phones is it changes about every two years. So policies and procedures, once you write them, you really have to go back and revisit them. Nowadays, I would recommend at least once a year because of how quickly technology is changing. And then procedures, the big difference between a policy and a procedure is, again, the policy tells what is required. It can be very high level. It gives the minimum pretty much of what, need, what must be done. Procedures dive into much more detail and tell a person how to manage their records. Procedures will change more often usually than policies. The next building block of records management is the records retention schedule. I don't see how a program really can exist without a record retention schedule. This is your guide. This tells you what is what records are in your organization and how long they must be kept. <clears throat> the basis of a retention schedule is the regulations. Government, state, federal regulations, and this is so, so important. <clears throat> uh, the record retention schedule will usually list what to keep in an organization, how long to keep it. It authorizes the orderly destruction of records. I call it an insurance policy. If you have a retention schedule and you're filing, following it, and someone came and asked you where that record is, that old record, because you should have kept it just in case, you can point to the retention schedule and say, I can't keep it. Um, a record retention schedule then, I believe, is the cornerstone of a record management program. When you're creating a record retention schedule, you have to look at the different values of a record. The appraisal process is probably the trickiest part of the retention scheduling. You have to look at each record type in your organization, research the regulations around it, and this is where it helps to have good industry friends because they can help you and, and give you some um, guidance as to where to look for those regulations. You also have to work with the business unit leader or the department leader and ask, what are the business needs to take into consideration? Because the regulation may specify seven years, for example. The business leader may say, you know what, I know it says seven, but I need it for a couple extra years. It's critical in my organization. 
<clears throat> we really challenge that though because we don't want them to get into the habit of keeping things just because, so we would probably challenge that. Um, then you have to work with the lawyers your your uh, legal representative, and they may say, the regulation is seven, that business unit leader wants it ten, but their reason isn't good enough, so we're going to go with seven. <laughs> um, and this happens all the time. This is a negotiation process that occurs. Regulatory reasons is always the minimum retention period. But then between legal and your business unit, you kind of battle it out until you come to a compromise. Um, historic is another reason that you would keep records. And historic reasons is maybe to uh, keep the history of your company uh, archive. You, you may want some archive material about your company and kind of track when mergers and acquisitions occurred and how a company's name changed, for example, over the years. So there are some historic reasons to keep certain records in an organization as well. <clears throat> okay, and here is an example. It's a little bit hard to see, but you can Google and get on, you know, get online and do a search for records retention schedule and come up with hundreds of examples. Usually they consist of an item number, and get my pointer working. So you, you can number this any way you'd like. Um, I actually prefer to have a little abbreviation, a little acronym in front like FIN for financial records because then I can quickly look at this number and see what type of record it is. This number is called also the classification. When records are submitted to storage or you're trying to manage uh, multiple records within a system, it helps to be able to say <clears throat> that one there is 1.1.1 or you identify that group of records because then if you look at the description and then over here, <clears throat> excuse me, the retention period, this is what you're trying to get at. You group records or classify them according to the retention. These buckets here, the way you group records is an art to me. It takes a long time to train people and thoroughly understand this and then be able to explain it to the customers why we group records the way we do. We try to group records in the largest buckets possible because you don't want a very detailed retention schedule. The more detail you have, the more difficult it is for the end user. So the bigger buckets, the better. And that's not always easy to do though. Oftentimes I'll start with a large bucket, but then I'll have to pull some records out of that bucket and create a new classification because they have a different retention period or a different trigger date. Trigger date, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that term, but that is the term, that's the event that triggers the retention period. For example, it can be date the record was created plus seven years. It can be, if it's a contract, for example, the date the contract expired plus seven years or plus ten years. So trigger date is very, very critical to know in each uh, record series as well. Okay, other retention considerations. When you look at a record and you're helping a customer, for example, or an internal person in your organization understand what retention they have to apply to their records, the first question is, <clears throat> is it a master or is it a copy? That's critical because when you have a retention requirement, usually the organization only needs to keep one copy. That's the master copy. Any duplicates or any other reference copies can be and should be thrown away much earlier. And earlier I said when you do dispose of records, you have to make sure all of these are disposed of, the master and the copies. 
Another retention consideration is, is the, re is the record required? There are certain types of records that we all use every day or create or store that there's just no regulation around them, but there may be, the, like I said earlier, business need to keep them. So the company should have in the retention schedule what's required and what's not required. For required records, I would have a minimum retention period. For non-required records, I would have a maximum. In other words, they're not always required to keep them, but they definitely should throw them away when they've hit a certain year. Another phrase that you have to look at when you're doing, uh, thinking about records and helping people manage them is whether they're active or inactive. <clears throat> and active, I consider when they're referenced or used more than twice a year, for example. Inactive is you may require to, you may have to retrieve them maybe once a year or every other year that definitely is inactive and inactive records can usually be stored off-site or out of site or offline. Active records, you definitely, the person needs them closer to them or immediate access so they can use them for their daily work. I talked about trigger date or event date. You have to figure out at what point will the retention period start. Uh, records can take on another retention period if they support other records. So, for example, correspondence. <clears throat> Regular old correspondence or daily uh, messages to other people or email oftentimes are not very important, so you may have a two-year maximum retention period on them. I would call those non-required. But when you're creating a contract, for example, you may have some correspondence that is critical to support that contract. The correspondence then, even though it's correspondence, becomes part of that other record and can take on a longer retention period. These three terms are really important and oftentimes nowadays in the world of electronics used um, to be the same. They're very, very similar. Taxonomy is a classification of things or concepts or as well as principles underlying such a classification. So taxonomy is an overall structure or classification of records. Metadata is data about data that describes the contents and context of a data file. Metadata is a very, very important term when you're managing electronic records because that's really where your summary is and that's where all of the data is that describes that file that can prove whether it's trustworthy. Oftentimes we don't even see the metadata, it's being created behind the scenes within the computer program. An index is a list of words or phrases, headings, um, to where useful material relating to that heading can be found in a document. So in other words, you're all familiar with an index, a table of contents at the beginning of a document. Index is really critical in electronic, paper and electronic, because it helps you locate records. I'm just giving you kind of a very quick overview of some of these terms. What is a vital record? This is another aspect of a records and information management program that um, it should be done and it can change though in its complexity. Many people nowadays don't need such a thorough vital record program because your vital records are often managed now by IT because 99% of them are electronic and IT does backups of all the critical records. It does um, make a lot of sense though as a records manager to go in, work with I, your IT group, your technical people, and make sure those records are indeed being backed up and both copies are safe and in separate locations so they can be recovered in the event of a disaster. 
So again, a lot of times this is taken care of by your technical people, but it does pay to list and um, you list your vital records in your organization so that IT department knows what's critical and what is not as critical. So what I consider a more relevant vital record plan in an organization nowadays is to identify the vital records, make sure the recovery procedures are in place, and um, make sure the backups are in place and stored at different locations. Another part of records and information management is the identification of storage repositories. And not only identification, but protection. You have to test our records being stored adequately. In the paper world, I used to go to the vendors, such as Iron Mountain or Recall or many, many uh, excellent storage vendors, and I would audit the protect if they were being protected and the actual storage facility. And you should be able to do that in the electronic world too. You need to test and make sure our records being stored appropriately and kept secure. They may be at a vendor site. There's cloud storage now or they may be in-house. You have to be familiar with the controls required to protect records. Have policies and procedures around them. Quality checks. I realized I'm getting a little short on time, so I'm going to have to speed it up here a little bit. Uh, disposition program. Records do become eligible for disposition, as we've mentioned, and um, as a record manager, it's good to have a consistent program maybe once a year. Check for approvals, check for preservation. I should have highlighted that in bold. That's really, really, really critical. Make sure secure, your records are being disposed of <clears throat> securely. Uh, perform checks and figure out what documentation needs to be retained to prove that records were destroyed appropriately. Training and awareness, that's always a critical aspect of a REM program. <clears throat> you have to make sure the policy is being followed and most people have at least 50 policies to read in an organization, <coughs> excuse me, so you really have to go out there and talk to your people or create a compliance program and do, and do checking to make sure that it's being followed and understood. A legal hold is critical. We've talked a bit about legal holds. One of the main primary responsibilities of a records manager is to make sure people understand their responsibilities. You work very closely with your legal department. Not everyone has to deal with this. It depends on your industry that you're in. I'm in financial services. This happens to be a very, very critical area because the PCAOB and different government agencies are always knocking on doors of financial places. Um, you may be in a manufacturing company, so you have the FDA, or I'm thinking of pharmaceuticals, the FDA may be, you know, there. So legal holds are very, very important when there's litigation or legal manners or regulatory manners. Compliance is another important part of a records information management program. There are all different ways to check compliance through audits, assessments, self-checks, uh, metrics. That second bullet I think is critical to identify your areas of greatest risk. Your compliance program should be driven by that. And again, every organization, every industry may be slightly different. There's all kinds of things to think about when creating a compliance program. You really have to check your scope, figure out how often you'll do checks. You have to figure out what you're checking compliance with. Is it, are you checking compliance to a policy or to a retention schedule or perhaps to a procedural manual? And then you have to report your findings and follow up on remedial efforts. 
electronic records. I've just listed some of the electronic records here. <clears throat> A statistic I recently heard is over 80% of data now is considered unstructured data. So these are kind of critical. All of these are very much in the news right now if you read the news about electronic discovery. And most people really are struggling with how to manage all of the data because of the growth. And I just wanted to insert this slide to give you an overview of what unstructured data and what structured data is and what the difference is. So that one on top, the unstructured data, is the 80%. Uh, it's very important to make it easy for the end users. Um, I have a habit of going into a lot of detail when I create my training programs because you can tell it's a, it's a very detailed industry, but I always have to remember people when you're teaching them now because they're so used to electronic, everything electronic and multitasking, I was recently told by a training expert that I had to get my three points across within the first three and a half seconds or people tune you out. So it's really, really important to come up with policy, procedures, and guidance for the people in your organization and really make it easy for them. Why REM? Why is REM important? And I'm afraid I'm going to have to go through this pretty quick, but basically 7,000 U.S. federal and state laws, and I've even heard people say 10,000 lately. There are a lot of laws, but not everyone pertains to every department or every organization. And I've talked a lot about some organizations are regulated, some are not. Oftentimes, people throw their hands in the air and say, let's just keep it all. And people that are not trained in records management often say this. It's that uh, pack rat tendency. <laughs> if you keep it all, it just kind of goes away, especially in the electronic world. People don't even realize what they have electronically. There's a risk with that, though. And if any of you need elevator speech, which is learning to sell your program to everyone you meet in the elevator or in the hallway, risk is the word you want to remember. If you can talk about the risk in keeping records too long or not being able to find a record because you have too many, this is a very important slide. There's risk in keeping outdated documents. So those people that think keeping everything forever is a good thing, wrong. There's increased cost in discovery because you have to find, collect, and read all those materials. It's difficult to respond quickly to regulators and court orders when you have too many records. So keeping it all is definitely not what you need to do. So the value of REM basically is increased operational effectiveness. And jump down to the third bullet, legal defensibility, improved customer service, to name a few. A tip that helps you, it, it's mandatory for this field of records and information management is developing relationships, getting a seat at the table, in other words. Learn who your IT people are, your legal people. Work with department representatives, quality and risk management. <clears throat> Share ideas and goals. Um, build up your credibility by asking them good questions and listening to them. And the other tip is be sure you speak their language. RIM, it has its own language. And uh, if you get the ARMA glossary, that will help you, you know, to learn some of the key concepts. Technical language, and this could go on and on, and this grows and changes, of course, every day. And then legal, 
legal has its own language, and to get legal people on board with your records management program, they don't all always understand, you know, how they we can help them as a records professional in the courtroom. And I actually had a lawyer tell me a long time ago that the legal, the records management program, he could see it evolve over like a 10-year period, and it actually made his job so much easier in the courtroom by having standard procedures that were being followed by each and every employee. Another thing is know the tools that we use as a records person. This used to be called GARP, and it's changed now to the principles, and um, it's, it's published by ARMA International, an excellent, excellent tool. It really is and should be the basis of any records management program. To remember the concepts of uh, the principles is a tip card, and you can see the A and then the TIP. <laughs> so if you ever had to rattle off what all of the principles are of uh, records management keeping or record keeping, you could remember a tip card. Another, I wanted to end the importance of RIM by always thinking strategy, vision, and goals. Every year, at least once a year, you should get together with the people in your records and information management department, develop your vision and strategy and your goals, and they should align with organizational or company goals. <clears throat> Focus on high-risk areas and have a steering committee. Basically, stay relevant, stay visible as a records management. You can't hide in the file room. You really have to get out there and continually sell your program. This slide I just inserted in here because I wanted everyone to see um, there are so many options with a career in records and information management. I easily could have gone in any one of these directions, and I still could, and that's what makes this so much fun. You really can dabble in a little bit of everything, and all of these different areas can bring something to your job and make you more valuable. And I made it. I think I'm only a few minutes over, and I just want to leave this information in here, and I welcome any questions or any comments. Janet, I, I know that you and I work together, and I probably know the answer to this question, but I'd like to hear what your take is for our audience tonight on what you consider to be secure disposal, both for paper or, paper or physical documents or artifacts versus electronic. Um, secure disposal is, number one, confirming it's been destroyed. In other words, if you have a vendor come, okay, I'm going to talk about paper, if a vendor comes to pick up your records or you hand them to someone, you want to make sure they're actually destroyed. So I would make sure the person's bonded. Um, there's a whole checklist to go through. <clears throat> you can work with vendors uh, to find out, you know, what they consider secure destruction and test and, and uh, check their procedures and make sure they are indeed being destroyed. For example, I have seen a vendor say they were secure, but then I'd walk down the hall and a whole bag was left open and unlocked of our secure documents. And even if it's there for a few minutes, I consider that not secure. So it's following it from the minute it's picked up, whoever is in charge of disposing of it to the end, to actually seeing it just be disposed. And oftentimes you want to get a certificate of destruction too. If it's at a storage vendor, certificate of destruction is very, very critical because that's your only proof that it was destroyed and they should list the boxes or the file numbers that were actually destroyed. And then you can get into the methods, incineration, pulverization. I mean, it really is a, a tough to get into all of the aspects, but it's basically setting up a procedure, checking your procedure, making sure it's done. In the electronic world, it's a little bit different. You have to check for all copies. You have to work and follow up, and again, I think it's that compliance check, just really testing yourself and testing your procedures and making sure it's done correctly. 
Janet, aren't there standards out there for electronic record, uh, documents to be destroyed on how many times they have to be written over, that kind of thing, too? Yeah, that's a good point, Connie. And there's uh, degaussing. There's you can get into some different terms. It depends on what media the electronic records are, but absolutely for disposal or storage or almost any aspect of this program, I would check with the standards. Thank you. Uh, there were two questions entered, and CJ answered uh, part of one. I'm not sure if you want to add anything anything to this, but Kristen wanted to know uh, what the uh, acronym uh, FRCP stood for. CJ told her Federal Rules of Civil Procedure. Would you like to add anything to that response? Um, no, thank you, Kenny, I would say, and also that is something we should all be aware of in a company that has any litigation or legal matters because um, the, the FRCP has to do with discovery and being able to talk to lawyers and produce what's needed. Um, so it's a very, very important uh, law that we should all be familiar with. If I'm not mistaken, Lisa, you teach that in one of the courses that you were teaching, at least when I was a student. Isn't that correct? You go into pretty a lot of detail on that. Yes, I do. So, the, yeah, th that that's really great. So maybe I could use my, the mic right now because I have a quick question. And um, does the, uh, Ernest and Young use an internal social media uh, tool yet? Because I know that's one of the biggest challenges in my organization, which is Royal Bank of Canada. And we've recently implemented an internal, like a Facebooky kind of uh, internal social media site for collaboration, for projects, and everything. And it has been such a challenge in terms of trying to apply traditional records management uh, principles in terms of retention. Because I, you know, I, I don't want to go down the aisle of applying a blanket retention to all this content or but it's very difficult to carve things out and I was just more um, you know curious Janet and with your professional experiences uh, at Ernest uh, is there have you gone down this path yet and if so if you could share some learnings with us and the students that'd be really great um, boy that's a tough question we are dealing with that right now and um, we are switching to another software. So by default, I think it's going to be an easy challenge because everything created up to this point will probably not be saved um, in those collaborative uh, community type social media. Um, I think the, the most important thing is to create a policy around it, of course, what's appropriate to write, what's not appropriate to write. Um, training your people, awareness, and again, policies. We have so many to deal with, so I think that training and awareness is critical. We actually have an annual um, messaging program where annually we pull together some articles and do some training about the proper way to use these. Applying retention then is really an analysis of the policy because the policy is going to tell you what can and can't be used or created in those communities or shared rooms. And if the policy, like our policy, says absolutely no client-related material can ever be put in our or in our shared, um, you know, social sites. And yes, we do um, have Facebook, and we actually encourage it for our people, um, these social networking sites, because we work so closely with clients. So it's an excellent way to communicate and collaborate, but we absolutely can't put our client materials. So therefore, our conversations, we really can round them up to, I'm going to say just I can't tell you what we do, of course, but I would say maybe a two-year maximum retention and then just they could go through. They have to be open for searching for e-discovery 
but other than that, they would be regularly purged after a period of time. But then you have to make sure the very critical and more important documents, if they're in those areas, are not put in those areas, or if they are by chance, you have a compliance check that finds them and teaches the person not to do that. I hope that helps. It's, a, it's very difficult. I just left a note there too. Uh, Armor International in January of 2011 had a standard on social media that just provides what you should do, uh, exactly what you're saying. And then uh, this uh, September, very shortly, it's in print now, is a companion piece uh, which is a technical report uh, telling you a little more about how these things can be done. It's still not everything we need to know. But uh, the issues that you're touching on right here uh, in relation to social media are included in this technical report. That's the purpose of it. So uh, look for some announcements uh, by ARMA of the a new technical report to support the standard. I think you'll read it in the IMJ uh, journal too, something about that. There was another question uh, before Lisa asked hers, and uh, I'm going back up to it. It's by Carrie. Uh, do most large organizations have records managers? How many people are in a records management department typically? And who do RIMS usually report to? That's a lot right there. Okay. Do most large organizations should have a records manager. Not all of them do. It kind of goes back to how regulated you are. For example, uh, universities, college, educational institutions, and utilities, <clears throat> manufacturing, financial services, those are just to name a few, you will almost always find a record manager within those organizations because they deal with highly regulated records. In other words, the government, federal or state government have rules and, you know, regulations and you have to keep and be able to prove certain things. So um, not every company, though, has a record manager specifically. Sometimes they do have a shared uh, role. So you may find a facilities person that also does records management. I would not advise that because I believe so strongly in the records industry um, that there should be a dedicated record manager. Um, let's see, I want to go to the second question. The size then will be based on the organization again. I've worked for a pharmaceutical company where we had about, um, I would say, 30 dedicated record management professionals doing all of those different aspects that I showed you in the slides. And then I worked for a smaller pharmaceutical company that had about four people. Plus, it depends on how you're structured. You can have record managers out within your business units. For example, our finance department, they have to keep certain records very close to them, so they actually have records people right in their department. They don't all report centrally to a centrally managed records group. So difficult question, it, you're going to find it a little bit different at every company, but, you, but within certain industries you will always find records managers. Let's see, then the next part of the question, who do they report to? And that will also vary. I've usually been in organizations where records people report up through enterprise support services because we're really enablers, we're like an HR department or a legal department. In some organizations, RIM reports through legal and compliance, and I personally think that's the best place to be these days because it, it gives you some more clout. <clears throat> Sometimes organizations though have their RIM people under IT, 
I personally am not crazy about that, but even then, because you're kind of locked into IT priorities, if you're more with a legal, you can work across the board and work it with your own priorities a little bit better. Um, but you can make it work no matter where you are. I think the key to the records group, again, is your visibility, getting out there, building your relationships, and being part of the vision and strategy of um, your organization. Yeah, and I think our time is up. We're just a little bit over. Uh, thank you so much. I'm glad you saved time for those questions and answers. Uh, it was an excellent presentation. I appreciate that. Uh, Janet, you um, gracefully allowed us to have uh, PDF files of your slides, so I uh, made a PDF uh, file, and uh, tomorrow sometime it will be posted for everyone to the colloquial announcement area, and you'll see it there near Janet's announcement where eventually we'll have a link to a webcast as well, so you can look for it there tomorrow afternoon. Uh, and if you don't see it there, just give me an hour or two, it will get there. Uh, and I think that's it, so I'd like to thank all of you for attending. And uh, thank you, Janet, for presenting. Thank you, G CJ, for helping moderate. I appreciate it. Good night, everyone.